It's great to be with you. One of the reasons why we preach through books of the Bible primarily, although in summer we are going to do a topical series, every now and again we do that, and we're going to do one on the spiritual gifts called Everyone Gets to Play. Looking forward to that. But generally we preach through books of the Bible, partly just because there's massive illiteracy biblically, and uh, we want people to realize the rich, richness of the Word of God and uh, the great story of the gospel through all the pages of Scripture. There's another reason, and that's that uh, as we preach through books of the Bible, we stumble over passages that we would not prefer to talk on. Passages like money, about money and hell and politics and sex. And these are not kind of passages that you preach to grow your church. These are passages that preachers steer away from if they want their churches to grow. And today is such a passage in some ways because actually this is part of the counsel of God. It's not a nice, cozy little passage, but it's absolutely vital and it's actually about the importance of the gathering of the church. So we've spent 10 chapters going through the riches of what Christ has done. Christ is a better Moses. He's better than all the prophets. He's a better high priest. He's given a better sacrifice through one sacrifice. Christ has made perfect forever those who are made holy. But it's like the writer in verse 19 of chapter 10 does kind of a double take and he double clicks on the importance of the gatherings. And we're going to read that. But before we go there, why is that important? Why, why is that important for them? Why is it important for us? It seemed like there were some who were in the habit, it says, of neglecting the gatherings of the church. And we're going to find out why. And I think in many ways we can look back at them, first century Christians, and go, but I mean, they had nothing going on. We're so busy. We've got so much going on. Surely they had just so much time all day together as the church, etc. But seemingly, like some were in, in the habit of doing that. And let's remember that this writer was writing to Jewish Christians who were actually sliding back towards temple ritual. And he was bringing them out of that, this legalistic, ritualistic temple worship, and bringing them into the grace of God. And it seems like as they discovered the grace of God, that they could actually access God's presence by themselves, now they were neglecting gatherings. We've perhaps got different reasons why we neglect gatherings. And I just wanna say, for a start, I'm not grumpy. I'm grateful for every single one of you who are here. I'm grateful that you dragged yourselves to church, some happily, some sadly. I'm, I'm grateful for the sacrifice of bringing kids, some kicking and screaming. I'm grateful for so many happy, willing servants who serve week in, week out. Honestly, so grateful. And yet, all of us at some stage find ourselves falling into this habit of neglecting gatherings. 
And obviously COVID is one of those reasons, kind of many of us just got out of the habit of that. And some of us fell into the, 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 the comfort of online church in your PJs. Um, and some need to be online, but actually all of us have confessed to like, man, it's actually quite cool. I mean, you know, it's nice to be able to come and go as you please. Many of us, some are coming, have just all these opportunities to go all sorts of places, and that's great. Some of us just enjoy slow brunches, and you know, that stuff happens. Some of us are kind of caught in the club sports thing, and they're just a myriad of reasons why we tend to neglect the gatherings. And how do we not get into legalistic ritual in this? Uh, how do we make sure that actually we understand the grace of God and understand the priority of gatherings still in the grace of God? So with that in mind, let's go to Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. You ready? This is the word of the Lord, amen? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Martin Luther said that history is like a drunk man falling off a horse into a ditch, climbing up on the horse and falling off the other side into another ditch. In other words, we tend as people to swing from extremes to extremes. We tend to have knee-jerk reactions from one extreme to the other. We battle just to stay on the horse. Now, what he was particularly talking about was the horse of grace. He was talking to a context, Reformation about 500 years ago, where people were caught in salvation by good works. And so they were paying penance and, and, and indulgences for the forgiveness of sins, confessions every day to the priest, worrying about whether they could earn their salvation or not, worrying about this, this, this wrong doctrine called purgatory, giving good deeds, etc., money to the poor in the hope that they would be saved. And then came the 95 theses nailed to the Wittenberg door with the five solas. Shout some solas out, show your reforming muscle. Shout a solar out. Yeah, I do it in Latin now, come on. <laughs> sola gratia, by grace alone, yeah? What's another sola? Sola fide, we say by faith alone. Another one? Sola scriptura, scripture is alone, our standard. Yeah, 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 we'll get to that at the end. There's one more, one more, one more. One more, more important one? Sola Christa. Right, we're saved by Christ alone. Sola Deo Gloria, we're saved to the glory of God alone. These were the five solas. Thank you, thank you, this is good stuff. And we're so grateful. In other words, the church got back on the horse of grace, not trying to earn their salvation. We're so thankful for those reformers. But very quickly what happened is people started to abuse grace. And so saved by faith, grace, Christ alone, 
But actually now, very few good works appearing in their lives, very little sanctification, very little giving to the poor, very little attending church. And so the Council of Trent was established 1545. And in it, John Calvin talked about justifying faith that would be accompanied by good works. And he said this, it is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Essentially, he was saying, hey, get back on the horse. You've fallen off on the other side. You were caught in legalism, ritualistic like salvation by works. You got on the horse of grace, but now you fell over and now it's license. Ring any bells? <laughs> Anyone can relate? So it's so easy to do that, right? We fall off the horse. And in many ways in our day, we, we wrestle with that, but we also wrestle with falling off the horse when it comes to the gatherings of the church. Because many of us were raised with legalism, where you, know, you were wrapped over the knuckles by mom and dad or the pastor or the priest if you weren't there and you were made to feel guilty. And then we saw kind of in the 80s and 90s, we saw the, the building of the mega church and these, these, these pastors that pursued money, fame and power and not all of them, but many of them fell and were exposed as improprietous and, 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 and hypocritical and chasing after money, etc. And many of us got hurt and we're just like, well, if that's what the church is about, I don't want it. So we fell off over the other side into individualism. It was like, well, I can just, it's just Jesus and me. I don't need the church. I don't need these leaders. They're just abusive and they, and they hurt me. And there's truth in that, but we haven't managed to stay on the horse. And so what has happened, not to all, but to many people, and you and I have many friends that have done this. They've deconstructed. It's like, well, we don't have to give ourselves to the institutionalized church. We can just hang out with a few people at a pub and talk about Jesus and that's gonna be the church and that's fine. We don't want any leaders telling us what to do and calling us to anything and we fall off the horse on the other side. Lord have mercy. And this little passage is just genius, I think, at helping us to get back on the horse and stay on the horse of grace. But grace that sees the gatherings of the church as a means of grace. Not ritualistic legalism, not wrap over the knuckles if you're just not here one Sunday, but actually acknowledging that we tend to get into the habit of neglecting the gatherings. And I don't want to moralize size. I mean, sometimes the gatherings is in a backyard of the church in a lounge, sometimes in a huge church, sometimes medium size like this. I'm not moralizing size, but there's a priority that God calls us. You know, I, I, and I've seen in my lifetime a change. When I grew up, like people just went to church every Sunday. And in fact, so much so that people thought they were saved by going to church. And I remember our minister saying this repeatedly. He would say to us, you know what? Just because you live in a garage, you're not necessarily a car. And he would use that. Any of you remember that? And he would use that as like, just because you go to a church doesn't mean you're saved. And we'd all have to go, oh, okay, you're not saved by going to church. Well, I wanna say we've got an opposite problem. No one thinks they're saved by going to church today. It's almost the opposite. We need to say, hey, if you're a car, you should probably park in a garage sometimes. <laughs> 
I mean, not that that's gonna make you a car or not, but it'll protect you from sun damage and hail damage and being stolen. In other words, going to church doesn't make you a car, make, make you a Christian, but it'll protect you and help you and keep you from being stolen away by the world, the flesh and the devil. We've got a different problem now. And so this helps us not to fall into the ditch of license and individualism to say, how is the gatherings of the church a grace to us? And the way this writer does it so beautifully is that he does it with two sinswees. Say sinswee. And then he does it with three let us's. Say let us. Not like salad kind of lettuces. Like let's, let's do it. Like this exhortation, all right? So there's two sinswees. And he stops and he says, Look, therefore, brothers, and that word brothers in verse 19 is not gender specific. It's, it's brothers and sisters or what we would say fam. Therefore, fam. In other words, he's saying like these, these 10 chapters of unpacking the gospel that Jesus made one sacrifice once for all and for all time, giving us access. But he didn't just give us individual access. He gave us access as a family. <laughs> We found a father, we found a family, we found brothers and sisters, therefore brothers, therefore fam. Since we, he says, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So in other words, he's summarizing the, the first 10 chapters and he's saying, remember what I said, that actually we don't enter the presence of God He's using temple language. The holy places is the holy place and the holy of holies. We don't enter there through the blood of goats and rams. We don't enter there through a human mediator, a human priest. We enter in through the torn curtain of Jesus' flesh. This is beautiful imagery. He was pointing to what Mark chapter 15 describes in the cross where Jesus is ripped apart through stabbing and nails. And as he cries out, it is finished, a few miles away, it says Mark 15, the temple curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom. So there's this, you know how you hear of an earthquake here and a thousands of miles away, a tsunami there. This is what was happening in the spirit realm. Jesus flesh torn like a curtain, as he cries out a few miles away, the curtain in the temple is torn, which gives significantly to Jewish people, oh, an unholy people can enter in, not through a human priest, but through that priest hanging on a cross. But it doesn't just stop there, like tens of thousands of miles away, not even geographical miles away, but in another realm, there's another curtain being torn. And it's not the curtain in the temple, it's the curtain between us on earth and heaven. That we, wherever we are, in confidence through the blood of Jesus, having our conscience cleansed, we can enter in. It's amazing. One curtain in Jesus' flesh torn there, another curtain a few miles away, torn there in the temple, and then in another realm, another curtain torn. 
You know what is so amazing about that? You and I don't have to go to Jerusalem to that temple to enter the presence of God. In fact, in AD 70, that temple was flattened. So thank the Lord that wasn't the curtain. There's another curtain. It's a curtain in heaven. And beloved, this is a dangerous idea. And this is what was happening with these Hebrew believers. They were like, oh, we don't have to go to that temple. We can access the presence of God wherever we are, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And it's true. You and I, I mean, I can backline of San Onofre, surfing, sun going up, just access the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, the turn, torn curtain of His flesh. Isn't that amazing? You can access His presence in Yosemite, Fullerton Trails, sitting on my back porch with my sea green cup with a double shot of Cortado Espresso from Ethiopia. I can access it. And I mean, that, that Ethiopian, like, it's awesome, it helps, but my confidence is not in that. It's in Jesus' torn body and shed blood. It's an amazing idea. I was listening to a friend of mine called Vili Jordan, a good Afrikaans name. Say Vili. It's like William except Vili. You've got to say V. And, and, and he's, a, he's a butcher. He, 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 he owns a butchery. And he felt the Lord tell him to go to a school in a poor area in a city, 600 people, and say to the principal, can I help you feed these people? So once a week he would go with his truck full of meat and just feed these people, 600 people. And he says, I drop off food and I'm on the way back to my butchery and the presence of God floods the truck. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm not in church, but the presence of God just comes almost like a cloud. He's like, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm, I'm weeping, I'm laughing. I'm like, what's going on? And he just senses Jesus say out of Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than receive. There's an example of guys saying, actually, I'm out there on mission. I'm not gathering as a church. I can experience the presence of God. I can communicate the presence of God. This is our heritage as believers in the blood of Jesus. Amen? And that's the first since we. But there's a second since we. And it stops us from falling into the ditch of individualism. Okay, well, I can experience the presence of God in my truck. So why should I get together with the people of God? And there's a second since we, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Say house of God. In other words, he's saying you individually, Matt, Danielle, Tom, Donna, individually, you have a high priest whose name is Jesus, and you can access Him individually. You don't need a human mediator, but this high priest is over the house of God. And he's introducing this vital idea that while we can access His presence by ourselves, there's something extra that happens when we realize He's not just my individual high priest, He is a high priest over the house of God. And the house of God isn't a geography. It's not in Jerusalem built of bricks and mortar. It's actually living stones, the people of God, purchased by Jesus' blood from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But it's the house of God. And remember, when the people came to the temple, the house of God, and their sacrifice was accepted, 
It wasn't just that they didn't get killed by God. It said, and the glory of God filled the temple. So what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is, man, if you can access Jesus and the presence of God by yourself in your truck on the Fullerton trails, how much more could you experience the glory of God as you approach the high priest over the house of God? There's something extra. And he begins to argue that this is not an issue of law and ritual. This is not an issue of you have to. This is an issue of you get to. You get to encounter the glory of God amongst the people of God. That's how he argues for the importance of the gatherings. Sinsui, Sinsui. And he moves from Sinsui to this reminder that some of you are in the habit of neglecting these gatherings. And he doesn't even say why. We can assume that they were just tired of ritualistic legalism, and some of us are. Some of us maybe just had businesses that they really needed to get to or big families that they needed to get to. Good things, but he was just like, you're neglecting them. And I think it's so easy for us to go, well, well, you know, it's one thing to say that to them, but for us, man, life is just so busy. Like, writer of Hebrews, I don't know who you are, but you don't get us. You just don't understand the demand of our kids in club sports. You didn't have that back then. You didn't have online church back then, so you just don't get it. But you know what is amazing? He says, so encourage one another together and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What? In other words, the gatherings, he's saying, should actually become more of a priority as the day, the return of Jesus, gets closer. Why? Well, seemingly the world will get more and more discouraging and we will have a greater need for encouragement as the day draws near and we'll find it in gatherings. So yes, we've got crazy, crazy planners and long hours, etc. but we're not off the hook. And all the more, as you see the day draws near. Essentially what he's calling us to do, not by law, but by grace, is to say, hey, make sure the gatherings of the church are not in pencil and everything else is in ink. In other words, like, yeah, 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 we will go if nothing else better comes up. But if something else does, then we just erase that pencil and it's like, no, that club sports thing or that brunch, that's an ink. He's saying, make it an ink. Make it an ink. Put other things in pencil. And I know that that's, that's hard. I don't want that to sound heavy, but that's just what the Bible is saying. Some are in the habit of neglecting, but actually we should not. And all the more as the, the day draws near. And then he gives us practical ways to make more of our gatherings. And there's three let us's. He says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up. Verse 22, with a true heart, let us draw near, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Remember, no old covenant worshiper would have been bold enough to enter. They would have been fearful that they would have been killed. 
And yet, in the gatherings of the church, because of what Christ has done, there is a posture of confidence to draw near. Of confidence. There's a, there's a boldness. And it's not a confidence that is like the temple. You know, the temple was, the architecture was, well, well, the outer courts, and anyone could go there. And then the inner courts, and a few more holy people could go there. And then the holy place, and well, man, man, you start washing your hands, you start the blood. And then no one goes without blood into the Holy of Holies. And he's saying it's not like that for the gatherings of the New Testament church. It's not like like out in the lobby and out by the, the chairs there. Well, that's like, all of us can be there, you know? Because like, you know, we're all sinners. And then as we come in, there's a hush. And if we're not feeling too good about our consciences, we sit in the back row. And if we're feeling like, oh, I've had my quiet time and I haven't cussed out the dog or whatever, I sit in the middle. <laughs> and then like towards the front, the really holy people. And then the holy of holies is this, Sam and the preacher and whoa, really holy. He's just saying, chuck that out. He's saying, no. We have confidence, even before we've gathered as the church, we have confidence in the car as you get up in bed. I'm going, but I'm already entering in. I'm not putting my confidence in a song or in architecture or, 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 or in a set or a preacher. That's not the mediator, Jesus is. So I come already having entered in because my confidence is in Jesus and He was with me in bed. Do you know how our gatherings would change? if we went like that. But the problem is we kind of old covenant in our thinking and we are looking for human priests to draw us in. I wanna say, please don't make Sam or Becky your priest. Don't make me your priest. Look, some leaders are more helpful than others. Some songs are more helpful than others, but it's not like, oh, okay, I enter in through the songs. I remember one worship leader teaching, was like, this is how you, you, you draw people in to the presence of God. You start with a hand clapper, and then you have a hand holder, and then you have a hand raiser, and everyone's in. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's not only awkward, that is just not the gospel. And sometimes, yeah, we, we have a call to worship, and that call to worship was particularly helpful, but you know what? Kevin is not your mediator. Jesus is. And so we look at songs and leaders and sets and architecture with, yeah, can be helpful, great. But actually my confidence drawing near is in Jesus. And you know, when we live that out, we will experience the presence of God in the lobby by the donuts and in the car park because it's not a less sacred space than this. And on the way out, as you're going through the door, on the way to the bathroom, you can be praying for someone and the presence of God can be there because you know what, in the bathroom, the temple curtain, the curtain separating earth from heaven is still split. It's not more split in here than out there. I'm just saying, beloved, imagine if we lived like that. Imagine if we saw this gathering as a reminder that the presence of God is always there. And of course, we experience it in greater measure because we're together and we're singing and breaking bread and it's awesome, but we go going, oh, the curtain is still torn as I go to my office on Monday morning. We draw near in order to scatter. And when we scatter, we're still in the presence of God. Oh, beloved, if we did that, we wouldn't need 
people to like pep us up. We were just becoming saying, yeah, look, I'm, because let's face it, most of us have some sort of guilt hanging over, some sort of conscience issue. And it's super helpful when a Sam prays and, and we pray a prayer of repentance. That's absolutely fantastic. But you can do that as you wake up. We come in, in the presence of God, ministering the presence of God to others. And you know, if we have an understanding that Jesus is our mediator, you know what'll happen is in the middle of worship, in the middle of prayer, in the middle of my preaching, the Holy Spirit will begin to convict you and you will actually find yourself transported. And it's the best thing where people are here, but they're not transported to ESPN or Twitter. They actually are transported into the presence of God and they find themselves in, in the throne room as it were and they just caught up. And what happened? It was a song. It was a prayer. It was a preaching point. But actually, they are accessing the presence of God for themselves. That's what church should be like. Some of you say, oh, church is about, you know, we, we, we're reminding ourselves of the gospel. We'll get to that. It is that, but it's so much more. It's an encounter with the glory of God. So draw near, draw near. Secondly, hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What does it mean to hold fast the confession of our hope? Very simply, the confession of our hope is what we said at our baptism. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. Is more than that, we, we realize in, in Hebrews, the confession of our hope is, Jesus, you're a better sacrifice. You're a better priest. You're better than the law and the prophets. You, you're the best, Jesus. But basically, the confession of our hope is, Jesus, you're my Savior. And Jesus, you're my Lord. And now we're talking not just about drawing near to the presence of God. We actually are talking about reminding ourselves about the truth of God. This is doctrine. Now, people that love singing will often say, please, can we sing longer? And people that love preaching will say, please, can you preach longer? Believe it or not, I actually have, have people say that to me. Most say, please preach a little shorter. But some just like 35 minutes, 40 minutes, that's, come on, preach longer. Each of us have our preference, but the gatherings of the church include drawing near and holding fast. And holding fast is about sound doctrine that we first believed in and confessed with our mouths as we believed in our hearts. And what it's saying is that life, the world, the flesh, the devil has a way of taking our hope and prizing our grip off our true hope, which is Jesus, and putting it onto something else. And the gatherings of the church, through the preaching of the word, to, through the singing of the gospel, even the singing of creeds, the reminder that the body and blood of Jesus is what ultimately holds us together and heals us and saves us, it's like, oh my gosh, I put my hands on other hopes that are fragile, that will crush my heart. And now I'm taking them off and I'm putting them back on my true hope. Because I don't know about you, but throughout the week, my hope wavers. Even me, even the preacher, 
my hope wavers. Does yours? Doesn't your hope waver when you see inflation rocketing? <laughs> Interest rates going up, business drying up, crypto crashing. How's your Bitcoin? And it, it, it's not a joke. It's tough. It, it crushes our hopes. A four on one K plummeting. This is tough. And without the gathering, we start to spiral down into hopelessness and despair. And when we come together and we sit under the gospel and we remind ourselves of what is our true hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What sweet frames are we placing our hope on? Our job, our shares, our, our retirement. And we go, oh my gosh, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. And so we take our hands off them and we put our hands back on Jesus. Hold fast, hold fast. And sometimes we need other people to remind us where our true hope is. Sometimes I need you to remind me because we waver, we waver. And I wanna say, you know, sometimes the preaching of the gospel, the reminder that God is faithful for he who promised is faithful. Sometimes it comes through the preaching of the word. Sometimes it comes through a song. Sometimes it comes through a testimony, through a prayer. But we need reminding that our true hope will not crush our hearts that He who promised is faithful, that what saves us is not the quality of our faith, but the quality of our Savior. And sometimes we even lose our grip on Him, but He doesn't lose His grip on us. And the gatherings of the church are to remind us of that. G.K. Chesterton, and I'm not gonna read the quote, but he talks about learning as the church to rejoice in monotony. Because I think what happens is, especially in Orange County, where we've got Disney down the road and you know Hollywood up the road and everything that opens and shuts. And there's this pressure that the church should keep up with Disney and Hollywood and everything should be exciting and everything should be entertaining and there shouldn't be anything boring ever. And I just wanna say, we don't want to be boring, but sometimes we need to hear the truth again and again, as, as Martin Luther said, we need to beat the gospel into our heads again and again every day. In other words, we need to learn to rejoice in monotony. Now remember, we are approaching the presence of God and the glory of God and the Spirit of God is here. And so there are unexpected things, but the preaching of the gospel, the saying, this is the word of the Lord, going to the table, opening scriptures, singing. It can feel monotonous. And sometimes people stop going to church because they go, I've got it, okay. I've got it. It's like the child who comes to his dad and says, I've read through the Bible. Like I don't need, I've, I've read that book. Can I go to another book? And you just go, uh, 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 you don't understand. This is a book that we need to come to again and again and again, why? Because our hopes wander. So he says, it's only God and children who are able to rejoice in monotony. God never tires of saying to the sun, rise, and to the moon, set. He never tires of that. Thank goodness he can rejoice in monotony. Thank goodness our kids, you know, we can 
just throw the ball and they'll fetch and come back or throw, throw them up in the air and it's awesome. I was actually talking about my, my dog there, sorry. <laughs> anyway, kids, whatever. They love monotony, but as adults, <laughs> we're carried away there. But, but as adults, we get bored of monotony, but sometimes it is monotony that we need. God never said that every single moment needs to be filled with something brand new. Sometimes we need to hear the old truths again. Tell me the old, old story. Preach to the choir. Hold fast. Are you wavering? Are you losing hope and faith? Don't give up on the gatherings of the church. Trust that he who promised is faithful. And then finally, there's a third let us, probably my favorite one. Let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the gatherings of the church together of the believers, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There, there is a gift of encouragement in the church, right? None of you are struggling for too much encouragement. No one came in here too encouraged, right? I mean, life is a way of ripping the courage from us. And so one of the reasons for the gathering of the believers is encouraging one another and encouraging one another even more as the day draws near. We, we want the gatherings of the church, whether it's in homes or backyards or coffee shops or parks or here, we want them to lift your heads. And, and to warm your hearts. We want them to halve your burdens and, and double your joys if you arrive dragging your feet. We don't want you to leave dragging your feet even more. This shouldn't be like going to have your wisdom teeth out. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, well, I did it, but that was really painful. We actually want, and God wants this to be encouraging. You should leave walking 10 feet tall, not in your own self-confidence, but in confidence of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, our risen King, our returning King. But there's another word here, not just encouraging, stir one another up. Consider how you may stir one another up. And this word stir one another up is interesting. It's, it's different from encouragement. It's actually more provocative. Another translation says, spur one another on. Have you ever seen a cowboy spurring a horse? It's not very encouraging, but it does something. In other words, consider, like think about one another. You see, some of you go, I don't need to go to church, but maybe your brother or your sister needs you there. You thought about that. It's not all about you. It's consider how you may encourage one another and spur one another on. It's not just about you. And maybe you're encouraged so you don't need it as much, but they might be really discouraged. Or maybe you're actively serving Jesus, but they're really passive and they need a bit of spurring. And this word stir one another up, I mean, just, just think about that in kitchen terms, right? We, we, love, we love this thing called nougat. And the real word is nougat. 
but you call it nougat. It's okay, but it's a French word. Don't hate me. You got it wrong. Anyway, it's kind of sweet, but it's kind of healthy. And you just literally put like egg whites and honey and add heat and you just stir, 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 stir. Like for an hour, then you add some pistachios, stir and stir. And eventually like the egg whites and the honey actually start to change constitution because there's heat and there's a lot of stirring. And that's what this is saying is like, as the heat of the presence of God comes, actually God changes the very constitution of our hearts and our lives, but it comes with stirring. I'm saying, are you willing to be stirred? No, no, I just need encouragement, please. Yes, sometimes, but sometimes stirring and spurring. Because some of us arrive not discouraged, just passive. And we actually need not just the preacher, but, but our brothers and sisters to say, hey, actually there's more. There's, there's more than just loving God on a mountain by, by yourself. Actually, there's the people of God. There's a, there's a mission out there. That stirring or spurring on is, is catalytic. Leave changed. I sat in my backyard with about 12 other fellas this Wednesday. And we're going through a book and we were actually talking about father wounds. And almost to a man, we confessed that we struggled because of a lack of affection and affirmation from our fathers. Almost to a man. So there was comfort and encouragement in that. But then some guys started confessing that actually because of that, I have been over affirming to my kids and under disciplining to them. Essentially, we're saying we've fallen off the horse on the other side. Out of reaction to under-affirming fathers, we've been over-affirming and under-disciplining to our kids. And so we stirred each other up to get back on the horse. Let's be affirming and also disciplining. I wanna tell you, you never get that on the Fullerton trails by yourself, just Jesus and you. You won't as wonderful as that is. You get that with the gathering of the believers. Ryan McDonald stirred you, spurred you on two weeks ago on Mother's Day to foster care and 30 people responded. So amazing, well done, thank you. Last week, Mandy spurred you on in terms of Jesus wanting to heal you if you were going through a battle and nine or so people, they prayed for an hour for people. I wanna say that happens in the gathering. That doesn't happen back line of San Onofre. Fred and Lisa Chambers got up and talked about a passion for church plants in Central and South America. They spurred us on to trust God for that. And Pedro, was stirred and spurred and he came and spoke to me and I said, well, maybe you and Alicia are going back to Brazil. He was like, no, 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 no not Brazil because he's from Brazil, but maybe Mexico. And we started talking about Mexico. They're shaking their heads, but still you got spurred. <laughs> that wouldn't have happened if they didn't come. I bet you they had some pillow talk that night. Is it Brazil? Is it Mexico? I don't know, but they, they got spurred on. And you know what else happened? A guy called Brian came and he said, I'm going to business 
to Brazil this next week and I'm going different. I'm not just going to crack a deal. I'm going to see some kingdom contacts. And I'm like, that's what happens in the gathering of the believers. That's why we do not neglect the gathering of the believers, whether it's here or whether it's in our engaged groups. We get spurred on. It's a gift. I'll land with this quote. C.S. Lewis talking about the power of friendship. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Isn't that amazing? Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. If only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend and then listen to this. They can, they can then say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment all our loves. Isn't that amazing? What's true in the gathering that actually we need other people's lights and perspective to fully appreciate other people. When I watch Adri love Matt, I love Matt more because I see a facet in Matt that I didn't see if it was just me and Matt. That happens with one another. That happens with God. When I listen to Danielle praying to God, I love God more because she sees a facet of God that I don't. I say, I actually need to be around when she prays. I know I can access God's presence by myself, but actually Danielle sees a facet that I don't. And Charlie sees something in the word of God that I don't. I say, I need that. I didn't see that about God's word. When Becky brings a prophetic word describing the presence and working of God, I go, oh, I didn't see that about God by myself. That's why the gathering of the believers is not a you got to, but it's a you get to. So I wanna ask that we would have some conversations as couples with our families, with our friends. I know we're going off on summer. You're gonna take a break. Do that without guilt. But then talk to your family and say, let's not take a whole break from the gathering this summer. Let's be back on the horse quickly, refreshed from our vacation, but realizing true refreshing comes from the gathering of believers. Let's ask, have we fallen off the horse reacting to legalism, fallen into the ditch of individualism? Let's hold one another accountable. Let's ask if our friendships are only about shooting the breeze and telling jokes and talking about the stock market or can they both encourage and stir one another up? Give each other permission to spur each other on because you don't just need encouragement. We need spurring on. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the blessing of the gathering. And as we go to the table and as we sing, we pray that we would treasure not only your presence, but we would treasure your people. The presence of God 
and the people of God. Amen.